gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this, your word, that it may nourish us today in all the ways of Christ. May your blessing be on the one who preaches, through Jesus, the bread of life. Amen. Scripture readings today are Luke 5, 31 through 32, chapter 7, 21 and 22, chapter 19, verse 10, and chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. At the, that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting our deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. The word of the Lord. Jesus got into lots of trouble because of the type of people he saved. He saved people nobody thought could be saved or even wanted to be saved. His critics complained that Jesus welcomed and ate with sinners. He not only welcomed them, but he actively sought them. And it got him crucified. To those on the fringes who thought that God had said no to them, Jesus was God's yes. People on the fringes can be those who don't fit in, who are broken, who have failed. But those on the fringes can equally be those on the mainstream, those who are successful and even the influential. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, but he ate with Pharisees too. And he had a heart for the poor, but he also had a heart for the rich. He sought the Gentile and those for whom formal religion was unfamiliar, but he came for the Jews and for those who were religious too. 
He shared his last supper with sinners who just happened to be his best friends. And after he was resurrected, he ended up eating with a couple of people who were in despair and had lost their faith. And they were walking away from Jerusalem on that road to Emmaus, out on the geographic fringes, fringes, moving farther and farther away. Jesus sought people wherever they were, and his door was wide open for any who would come, if he could find them. And Luke noticed this. Luke picked up on this, and when he wrote his Jesus story, he highlighted how Jesus proclaimed good news to the broken and the poor and the outsiders. And this summer, we've been keying in on those moments in Luke's story when Jesus particularly shows his heart for those on the fringes. Now, I want to run through Luke uh, just briefly and point out those scriptures that show this, and I'm going to... Post the passages for you Bible heads who love this kind of thing and uh, you like to write it down and go back and read it. So eat your heart out. Jesus' first, his first recorded sermon, which is in Luke 4, he sets out his message and his mission and he says that he has come to preach good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, sight to the blind, and release to the oppressed. And he even suggests that God has those outside of Israel on his radar screen, which sent the Jewish people ballistic. Jesus gets involved and pays a lot of attention and time to the sick and the demon-possessed. In Luke, we see even though a fisherman named Simon begs Jesus to get away from him because Simon knows that he's a sinful man and doesn't measure up, Jesus calls him as a disciple anyway. And then very soon after that, Jesus calls a tax collector named Levi to be a disciple. When John the Baptist wants to know if Jesus is the real deal, is he indeed the anointed one sent from God? Jesus tells messengers to go back and tell John the good news that is preached to the poor. Jesus doesn't highlight his wonderful ministry as a teacher or how much attention he is getting. He points to how he addresses the poor. And then Jesus is accosted by a woman who is a sinner. Who's bawling out of sorrow for how she's lived. And she wipes Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. Sinner, the term sinner in the Gospels, is a general term for this person is messed up big time. Everyone knows it and they should be ashamed of themselves. And Jesus proclaims forgiveness and salvation and peace to her. And then Jesus includes a group of women in his traveling party of disciples. This in a time when women weren't entrusted with much of anything. And these women, found on the fringes by Jesus, had been redeemed from some Pretty wretched things, but Jesus wanted them around. He was, they were key to his mission. Jesus harbors no hard feelings against Samaritans, even when they are inhospitable toward him. He uses them in his parables, portraying them as good, giving them kind of the hero role, and even heals a Samaritan who was a leper and praises him for his faith. 
He heals a woman whose body is so crippled that she can't stand up straight. He heals a man whose body is swollen from what was then called dropsy, now we would call it edema. He told parables about what was lost being found, parables about lost sheep, lost coins, lost sons. He told a story about a poor man named Lazarus getting a place in heaven when no one on earth would give him the time of day. He told a story of how a tax collector was made right with God over a Pharisee being made right with God. Jesus called out for those who felt they had to keep distance from him. Uh, ten lepers, he called out to them. Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, he, he found him. A blind man on the roadside. All were hesitant to approach Jesus, but Jesus brought them close and transformed their lives. And he did all these things because he said, it wasn't those who were well who need a doctor. He says it's those who were sick. And Jesus said he didn't come to call those who were righteous, those who had it all together, but he came to call sinners to turn their life around in repentance. He said he came out to seek out and to save the lost. And now he's on a cross saving a criminal. A criminal. We can't get any more on the fringes than that, I don't think. A criminal. Someone outside of society, someone outside of religion, someone outside of respectability, outside the law, and who knows what else. Is there no one that Jesus won't welcome if they call to him? Does he not have any standards? And this criminal doesn't even have time to repent. He, I mean, barely, he, does, he doesn't have time to get his life in order, doesn't have time to get baptized, doesn't have time to join a church and follow Jesus. And he wants Jesus to let him into his kingdom at the last minute of his life. Don't you just hate that? I mean, we go to church and we read our Bibles and we love others with our lives. We teach Sunday school. We visit the sick. We try to be obedient and do the things that God wants us to do and the stuff Jesus tells us to do. And here's someone who didn't do any of that gets into the kingdom. We don't know what this man did or what crime or crimes he committed. I know some older Bibles um, use the word thief to describe this man, but but the word gives no clues. He's a criminal. I think it's easy in our minds to romanticize this criminal. We romanticize him. I think we do that with a lot of unsavory characters that fill the Gospels. We kind of clean them up, make them more respectable. Uh, just look at children's Sunday school curriculums sometimes and the images of these unsavory characters in the Bible. I mean, uh, heck, the thieves and the prostitutes and the tax collectors look better than most of us in those books. We hear about this criminal on the cross and, and we figure, well, he, he was probably a good criminal. You know, Rome saved crucifixion only for the worst. Only for the worst. 
And maybe he didn't get due process, but he probably hadn't been very good to others. Who knows who he had hurt? Who knows the pain that he had inflicted on others? He was probably not the kind of guy you wanted living next door. But he had this. He had this. He knew that he had screwed up and that he deserved his fate. There is this pattern in those whom Jesus welcomes. They all have, just read through Luke, they all have a great sense of how bad they are and how little they have to show God in and of themselves. Simon Peter confesses he's a sinful man. The woman who crashes the dinner party knows she's lived an immoral life. The tax collector stands far off in the temple and cries for mercy from God. Zacchaeus knows that he has defrauded people. And a criminal claims he's getting exactly what he deserves on that cross. It's easier for Jesus to get through immorality, sin, and failure than it is for him to get through excuses and self-justification. The preacher, Will Willimon, said, it never occurred to us that the worst of sinners are those of us who do not know our sin, and the worst of the lost are those who do not know how lost we really are. This dying criminal knew how lost he was. Remember one time Jesus said where two or three are gathered, there I am with them. Well, there are two here, three if you want to count the other criminal who's unrepentant, but he's there. And Jesus is here, is he not? Karl Barth, the insightful theologian, said this was the first church meeting right here. If two or three are gathered, wouldn't that be something? If the first church, the first fellowship was Jesus and a criminal on a cross, we might want to think about that. Do you notice that throughout his life and ministry, Jesus doesn't do a lot of outreach with the masses, with, with the multitudes. Uh, you almost never find him trying to attract mass crowds. Sometimes the crowds find him, but he usually tries to wither that down, try to shy away from that. His plan of outreach is never geared towards this mass efficiency. He's more into a person here and a person there. Jesus moves in individual relationships. And it's even like that now at his death. Just one person. For that unrepentant criminal who's on the other side, on the other cross of the Lord, Jesus must come down from the cross in order to save. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us and come down. But for the criminal who cries for salvation, Jesus must remain on the cross and fulfill his mission and purpose from God in order to save. One calls Jesus' messiahship into question. I mean, if Jesus can't come down and get us out of this situation, what good is he? Do we treat Jesus the same way sometimes? Uh, if he doesn't show up according to our expectations or do what we want him to do, then we figure he's not much good to us. 
But the other criminal accepts the cross and asks to be with Jesus beyond this life. And that second criminal's words, it's like a confession of faith. Pay attention to the words that came out of his mouth. When he tells the hardened criminal, don't you fear God? He is, in essence, confessing that he does fear God. And he confesses that God is in Jesus when he cries out to that first criminal that they're receiving the same sentence. He is saying, don't you know who you're talking to? And he confesses that his punishment is just and deserved and that Jesus is innocent. He says, this man has done nothing wrong. His request to Jesus is for the Lord to remember him when Jesus comes into his kingdom. He confesses that Jesus has a kingdom and that Jesus has the power to get him there. He entrusts his entire faith into Jesus' hands. And the criminal's request is not grounded in his own good works or any knowledge that he has in Jesus. It's too late for him to change his life. He only asks that he be allowed into the kingdom of God. (laughs) Fat chance. Think of the violence. Think of the dishonesty and the greed on his hands. Think of how many times he's hurt someone with no regrets, but enjoying himself totally at the expense of others. And he requests to be in the kingdom of God? You should have thought about that a long time ago, amigo. It's too late now. And Jesus answers, I tell you the truth. And by the way, whenever Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's his way of saying, listen well. This is rock solid. I can't emphasize this enough. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. The dying criminal is promised paradise. He's promised to be with Jesus. You know, Jesus prayed to the Father, I want those that you've given me to be with me where I am. Well, here it is. And Jesus says, today, not tomorrow, not when you get your act together, not when you take the class, not when you learn enough Bible, not when you go through purgatory, today, you will be with me. That's good news. The criminal will be in eternal relationship and belong to Christ. The criminal was probably a loser. Criminals usually don't have a lot going for them. Giles Frazier wrote an article in The Guardian a couple of years ago. Um, I quoted from it on Monday, Thursday. For those of you who are here, the article was this. Christianity, when properly understood, is a religion for losers. Um, When I read that, I wasn't sure I wanted to read it because I'm about success. I'm about winning. I'm about upward mobility. But he said this, he said, in the gospel, losers are not despised or rejected, not ultimately. In fact, losers can discover something about themselves that winners cannot ever appreciate. That they are loved and wanted simply because of who they are and not because of what they achieve. 
What a kingdom when the main requirement for membership is to be honest to God lost. And that the main claim of citizenship is not to have been discovered, but to have been found. There's good news for criminals. And if there's good news for criminals, there's probably good news for everybody. It's not that everyone is saved, but Luke lets us know anyone can be saved. The point is that Jesus' salvation doesn't depend on what we do. It depends on trusting him. Now, I know most of us, uh, I know most of, if, if, if any of us, don't really appear to be on the fringes. I mean, we're not. Uh, here we are, we're worshiping, we're seeking, we're, we're trying to serve Jesus. We've met Jesus, saved by grace through faith. We're part of his community. But some of us could speak of how we were once on the fringes. And we were pretty far from God, but Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the folds of God. And we may still feel on the fringes now and then. We're battling bad habits, maybe, or we're struggling in our faith, or we feel lost for one reason or another, or our motivation for faith is a little cold, a little low right now. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He loves us just for who we are. Maybe we need to come home. He waits patiently. He waits lovingly. You don't have to have all the answers. None of the people on the fringes that Jesus reached had all the answers. You don't have to have your whole house in order. You just have to turn to Christ and live in relationship to him and for him. Those of us who are doing that can join Jesus in seeking those who are on the fringes. We can be ambassadors of reconciliation. I'll bet we know someone, at least one person in our life who's on the fringes. Huh? Do you think? Maybe we've been praying for them for a long time. As Jesus hangs on the cross between these two criminals, people sneered at him, they mocked him, it says they insulted him. Why not give up, Jesus? I mean, what's the point now? And still, even there, on the cross, he was bringing good news to those on the fringes. He was forming a relationship with a dying sinner it's the cross that reaches people on the fringes that is God's plan and tool for reconciling a world that is rebellious towards him so if anyone is in Christ there's a new creation everything old has passed away see everything has become new all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become 
the righteousness of God. He couldn't go any lower to reach us. And he wants all people to come to him, even if he has to die trying. Let's pray. God, you came into this world out of love. And you died trying to tell us that you are a good father who wants his children home. You're still seeking to save the lost. Lord Jesus, remember us in your kingdom. And stir us to share that salvation with others so that all your people in this world may be brought in. It's through the one who lived and died for us that we pray. Jesus, amen.